Welcome to Rural Is Cool. This week, I chat with Jennifer Norton. Jennifer is a small town librarian. We chat about all the great things a library has to offer, besides just the obvious books. Libraries serve as a gathering place for the community, a Wi-Fi access point, and the gateway to the library in the sky. If you enjoy our conversation, please click subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, feel free to give us a five-star review. Reviews help others like you find this podcast. Well, hello, Jennifer. How are you doing tonight? I'm real good. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Um, thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, I, I know you're a, a busy lady, so I wanted to have you on because in rural areas in particular, that's what I'm most familiar with, um, libraries serve as kind of a hub. And I wanted to have you on and kind of talk about that. But first, can I tell us about you and, and where you grew up and how you got to a library in the middle of a cornfield? <laughs> well, it's kind of a convoluted story. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, spent the first years of my life there up until the middle of fifth grade. And then my parents decided they wanted to live in the, in the country. So we moved between Blair and Omaha. And right after Christmas break, I started in the fifth grade at Blair Elementary, scared to death, but so excited to live in the country because finally I could get a horse. And so that's where I finished out my schooling, went to high school and graduated from Blair High. I then went to college for one semester at Iowa State with dreams of being a veterinarian. And then life changed as it often does. And I transferred to Lincoln and I actually graduated with a degree in animal science. Oh, clearly that makes you a librarian. (laughs) It does, you know, so convoluted. Speed up a few years, and I moved west of Elgin with my first husband. And when we first moved up here, one of the things I needed to know was that there was a decent library. So my son was actually enrolled in preschool in Neely with Mrs. Lyons. So I stopped by the library to make sure I had a place to go and and take the kids as well. And lo and behold, the Neely Public Library was there and it was an awesome facility. So that's how I ended up in Northeast Nebraska 22, three years ago or so. And you've worked at the library in Neely for how long of that 23 years? Um, 19 years and one month. Excellent. Um, and I, I know that you are on your journey to a little bit bigger library and we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Sure. So why was it important to you when you moved here to find a library? Well, as strange as it may seem, though, I had a, li- a degree in agriculture. My other love was reading and English. And so just to fulfill that desire and for me personally to find books and and resources and to share that love of reading with my kids um so it was real important to have a decent library that was welcoming and i was most certainly welcomed and just to add a little bit of how i ended up getting a job at the neely public library is that when i first started going there ruth strassler was the librarian And one day she said to me, Jennifer, you need to apply for the children's librarian job. It's coming open. And a few months later, um, she hired me or the library board hired me. 
then started my career in the library field. And I loved it. I love the people. I love books. So clearly a knowledge of books and how a library works, you already had. What other education have you gotten over the years to transition you from that agriculture background into public service? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in order to be an accredited library, the librarians are required to be certified themselves. So I had to take a, a series of courses called basic skills. So just laid the foundation on some of the things that it's important to know in the library world, some from cataloging to customer service, um, all kinds of things. It's been a long time <laughs> since I took those classes, so I don't really remember everything. And then from then going forward, then continuing education in all different areas okay. of, of public library work. So mostly, I would say the biggest thing with libraries, and, and I don't care whether it's in an urban setting or a rural setting, is customer service. And I did work some retail. My parents owned a business. Um, so I had a lot of customer service background. And that's what we're there to do as librarians is serve the community and people. So loving books and having that knowledge is, of course, an added benefit if you're going to be working in a library. But mostly it's just the love of people and wanting to help. Okay. So you've been in the library setting for a long time as a a librarian. What big changes have you seen over the course of your your career thus far? I mean, libraries, when I think of them today, are not the libraries I I remember when I was a kid. No, absolutely not. When I started at the Neely Public Library, there was one public computer that had internet access. We still had... Oh, lots of study space. I shouldn't even call it study space. Just a lot of space for things that we no longer even utilize, like periodical files and um, things like that. So I think the biggest change is the technology piece, having access to the internet. It's It's almost sliding back a little bit now since people have their own devices and smartphones. And so you can access the internet from just about anywhere, but the Wi-Fi signal is very important. So though we have public computers for people to use and printers and copy machines and all kinds of other technologies, it's mostly the Wi-Fi now that is most important. People don't necessarily come in to use the, the desktop computers, but makerspaces, though we ourselves don't have a makerspace at the Neely Public Library. We did have a grant in 2017, the summer of 2017, we had a makerspace innovation studios. So laser cutters, vinyl cutters, 3D printers, heat presses, sewing machines, all kinds of different things that we had at the library for like five months. And then the idea was for the public to use them. And if there was a great desire or you you saw a need for that technology to continue, then the idea was to possibly purchase your own machinery. And simply we just, the library did not have enough room to accommodate a makerspace and we still don't have enough room to have all those technologies. So it took up every <laughs> spare piece, little bit of, of space in the library at the time. So, so you've, you've kind of touched on, on one of my next questions is besides books, 
what are libraries used for today? When I was a kid, you went to the library and got a book. Maybe you sat there and read it. Maybe you didn't. But that was about it. Um, now libraries are a whole different beast. Mm-hmm. So what other things are libraries used for besides just books? Yes. Not to diminish the value of books. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Of course, books are still important. And you will know that studies have found um, since the advent of eBooks that people still prefer print books, the hard copies, whether they're children or adults, all age groups prefer the print book. But programming, um, like you, you mentioned, a community hub. People come, um, maybe bring their kids for story time, but the moms use it as a, as a time to socialize and to connect. I had a couple of moms actually recently said that when they moved to town, that's where they met their friends, their new friends, because they were new to town and they all had kids. And so going to story time was a way for them to introduce themselves and, and, and connect with uh, women and and people, families of the same, you know, in the same age group and with doing the same things. We also, people come in actually like just to socialize, just to visit, to make a connection, whether it's with someone else on staff or a friend, you know, people meet up and, and talk. We have programs for adults and kids and young adults, um, sometimes with books at the center of those types of programs. But honestly, it's it's a place to make connections, okay. I guess. Okay. Uh, you guys recently received a grant to host some study groups. Yes. And it's not necessarily a study group that I would have thought would have happened in the middle of Northeast Nebraska. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, actually that grant, we it's been longer ago than you think. It was actually, we, see, we received the grant in January of 2021, and it was from the American Library Association, and it was focused just on small and rural libraries, so only um, certain libraries, not every library could, could apply. So Neely, I applied for that grant, and, and we were supposed to choose an issue that was relevant or important say in your community, whether or not people want to believe or think that race relations and the race issues in our country are important in a small community. I did choose race and that was a little bit in the advent of the George Floyd um, murder and just some things that were going on on in our country. And that to be better citizens, I thought it was really important to be able to look at at people's lifestyle and things that happen in people's lives from their perspective. And that's what the the topic of the grant or my project was, was perspectives on race, attempting to understand the history and realities of being a person of color in the United States. So we started with a historical fiction novel that one of the key points of that novel was an actual event that happened in Omaha, Nebraska in 1919, and that was the lynching of a Black man, Will Brown, near the courthouse steps. And so these were virtual book discussions. So with COVID still rearing its ugly head, we met via Zoom, and people could come and pick up the book, read it, and then we would come together and and talk about the book with that first program, we also paired it with an author talk from the Humanities Nebraska. Okay. The author is actually from Omaha. 
He joined us and did uh, a presentation, told us more about his writing process and the events that sparked his interest, you know, interest to to create the books. So and then we went on from there and read three other books. And anyone who wanted to participate certainly could. I made some great connections during that project and um, actually had uh, former U.S. Senator Bob Kerry and Preston Love Jr. do a special presentation for us in May. And then we finished up the project with a in-person program, <laughs> yeah, which was really exciting because we hadn't had real an adult program like that in person for quite a while. So Eric Ewing, he's the executive director of the Great Plains Black History Museum in Omaha. And he talked a lot about important contributions of African-Americans in our state's history, more mostly in Omaha, but in other places as well. And then we talked a little bit about the things that are that are currently going on in our in our nation. Um, so so you, you mentioned COVID a little bit. How did COVID change the library's kind of function? Schools didn't have school for a long time. There's lots of kids that don't have internet at home. Mm-hmm. I imagine that you couldn't have people coming in and out of the library. So how did that affect and how did you make that transition as a as a librarian and, and as a public service? Right. So um, it was a difficult at first to navigate, um, but ultimately we were there to serve our, our public. So we did ultimately have to close our doors to the public for about six weeks to eight weeks. But at that time, we were still taking phone calls, still answering questions. I'm a notary public. So people who needed notary, they could come into the entryway. (laughs) I would witness them through the door. They would leave the entryway. I would do my magic and um, we would make copies. Our Wi-Fi signal was pretty okay that if people needed to use the internet um, on their own device, they could access it from the parking lot. We did not curbside, but our entryway was open. Um, They couldn't enter the building proper, but they could come into the entryway. They would call us with requests of, of materials, say, and we would set them out in a bag for them. So it was contactless um, service in that regard. So we still were serving our public, but you're right. We did not have um, in-person programming. So that was, it was hard not seeing our people face to face and communicating that way. But it's surprising that, you know, librarians are very innovative and can adapt. And we certainly did that. You know, we did put once the building was reopened, we required masks. Our library board is such that they could make that determination and requirement. And for, for a while, or a, quite a while actually, we did require masks, staff wore masks as well as patrons. We social distanced as well as we could and, and had barriers, plexiglass barriers up between the people and the circulation desk. So though things were very different, we were still doing the best we could. We had summer reading programs where kids could come and get kits rather than come in for a program. So the reading, they could still do that. It was just those in-person things that weren't happening. And you guys made pretty heavy use of your electronic library during that time too, right? You, you guys have, a, with your library, you have access to OverDrive? 
Right. Yes, we are a member of Nebraska Overdrive, which is a consortium of Nebraska libraries. Um, whoever wants to uh, participate, it's the fee is based on your population. So we pay a pretty small fee to belong to what I describe as the great library in the sky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, people have access as long as they have a library card and no um, and we have a PIN number, it's a library specific PIN number, but as long as they're a, a patron of the library, they could access ebooks and audio for absolutely free. And yeah, COVID did, we did see an increase even statewide of, of the usage of overdrive. And so those, again, another, just another service and a format of way to, you know, serve our communities. So you, you've mentioned all kinds of ways that libraries are still relevant, right? <laughs> and, and you've been a part of some pretty neat projects. What, what's been your favorite project that you've been a part of over the last however many years? Um, I think my the most fun project is Pub Trivia Nights. Yep. And actually, I mean, there again, it, it just speaks to what libraries do. We are more than what is within our building. We do a lot of outreach. So Pub Trivia was an event that was is popular across the country in different venues, whether it's hosted by a library or somebody else. But a monthly event that I would develop and questions, trivia questions, usually categories and, and people would come out and have teams and have a little drink, have a little food, have a lot of fun. And you had really good turnouts for those. <laughs> we did. Really good. We did. Um, before COVID hit, we had a Christmas pub trivia night that we hosted at the Neely Legion, American Legion. And I don't remember, there was probably close to 100 people there. Wow. And But the... The thing that really struck me was the variety in, in age ranges. We had people who were barely 21 and people who were in their mid 80s. Wow. And so it was it was for all ages, as long as you were could legally. I mean, you didn't even have to be a legal drinking age. You just couldn't. If you wanted to participate, fine. You just couldn't, of course, you know, partake. But right. that it really it took the library to the community. And so I, you know, we, we had people or I saw people that, you know, I may not see walk through our library doors, but appreciated the social aspect. And I think it hit home with them that libraries do much more than, like you said, come in, check out a book and be a book nerd. Do you have troubles with people remembering that the library's there? I mean, oh, <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you're not an avid reader, you might not know all these things that a library has to offer, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or you might live in a a urban setting where there's a bookstore just down the corner, or you, or, or you go to Amazon and just buy all your books. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that people remember you're there? I think the biggest thing is being present in the community. So in a small community, it's much easier, I think, to they associate my face 
or any of the library staff with, oh, that's a library lady. In fact, you know, kids will find see you in the grocery store and they'll say, what are you doing here? Like, you know, you live <laughs> at the library and you don't have to eat. Um, so being present in the community and, and having that visibility. Secondly, I think the social media aspect and having a presence there, not to say that everybody likes the library on Facebook or visits our website, but any sort of way you can get to them, whether it be, like I said, in person or flyers around town, advertising, um, newspaper articles. My uh, The reference librarian at the library writes a weekly library lines column, and the Antelope County News is kind enough to publish that. So she always puts in, you know, recent happenings at the library, things that are Neat. new books, um, programs, what have you. So finding every which way you can to make your presence known. Yeah, yeah. So what are some challenges that you see for libraries in the future, right? So you've overcome a lot of things. You, you've stepped into the digital age um, with the digital card catalogs, the, the overdrive system with computers there, the internet for people to access. What, what's the next big challenge for libraries? I think the challenge may be even bigger for urban libraries because rural and small town libraries it's a place already where people come to connect and to congregate we have become such a disconnected society somewhat due to covid and somewhat due to social media and so that person-to-person contact isn't always necessary um you mentioned people using Amazon or going to a bookstore and buying their books, there are still people who they don't want to buy their books. They want free. (laughs) They want to borrow. They don't want to own things. I am not so much that person. I have way more books than I will ever read in my lifetime, (laughs) but it could be worse. But so I think that's the biggest challenge is you mentioned, you know, do people remember where the library is and I think though that's a challenge in trying to make sure that people know we're there in a small town, as long as you can actively stay, I don't want to say in their faces, but stay visible and meet them where they are. And it's real important to know your community and to understand what it is your community needs. If they need jobs, you have a workshop where they learn how to write a resume, you know, or different things where you just, you have to really have your fingers on the pulse of the community, know what they need, and then try your best to meet that need, draw on other resources and community partners to help with that. And that's one thing I would mention um, is really important, especially in what we do. It's a joint effort in a lot of the things and programs that we put on the hospital, the extension office, the school systems, the businesses all contribute in one way or another, whether it's financially or in people, in helping create and provide the services that people need with the library as the host or the central entity. For instance, like the bike rodeo, for instance, I mean, there's that was just popping into my mind. Yeah, Yeah, there's there are there's a group of people. All of those that I mentioned are integral in making that happen and making it as successful as it is. And 
it, it wouldn't be what it is without those others stepping up and stepping in to help and to be what the community needs and wants. How is that? That is amazing that, that there are that many people and groups supporting what you do at the library. How are public libraries funded? Public libraries are funded mostly from their individual towns or cities, so tax dollars. Um, We are fortunate enough to have an interlocal agreement with our county, so each county library does receive some funding from from the county. That's why anybody living within Antelope County can be a patron of any of the libraries within Antelope County for free. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you, yeah, it costs nothing. As long as you live in Antelope County, you can use any of the Antelope County libraries. Hmm. Um, Also, when I mentioned earlier, the accreditation process, that's a state program and it, it adds to the professionalism and level of service that a library provides. So the state of Nebraska, once you become accredited, you also receive some state aid and that is based on multiple things, your level of accreditation, and your population, several different things. So mostly it's, it's taxpayer dollars, okay. some, some from um, the federal government, but mostly the federal monies go into the state and then it goes yep. into the, the local and grants from different organizations. So funding either in money, financial grants or materials and program types of okay okay so i I still can't believe all of the things that that a public library has to offer right you have internet computers to use if you don't have one to bring in with you a meeting space i i'm a member of a board that meets at the at the neely library every month then there's so many things that that it offers it besides just books how has being a librarian, how has this experience midway in your librarian career, how has this changed you? How, how, how has it impacted you? I think the main impact has been the confidence that it's built in me in gaining knowledge and then being able to talk to people and speak in front of an audience, though it's, yeah, I still get nervous somewhat, but I think mostly it's just being with people that has allowed me to grow in that regard. I'm not afraid to introduce myself and be that advocate for the library. And some people probably say, oh my gosh, here she comes again, the lady (laughs) from the library. Don't worry, I get that too. It's not just the library. But it's, you know, I guess I just have such a passion for it that it shines through in how I relate with people. And and inevitably, I am going to share with you my love of books and or the library and things that are going on at the library. And you'll be hard pressed to get a word in edgewise. (laughs) So you are in the midst of a big transition. You are going from a tiny little town, public library to not a huge town, but a bigger town's library. Mm-hmm. What, what are differences that, that you already know between the bigger town's library and a small town's library? You know, I, I think I touched on this earlier. I think 
actually the biggest thing that libraries do and regardless of its size is serve its community. So though I'm going to a little bit bigger town, I'm still going to be doing the same things. I'm still going to be trying to engage in the community, find out what that community needs, offer those, try to, you know, offer those programs that, and services that people will need and want and can benefit from. Um, the town that I'm going to is just over 10,000 people. So it's not huge by any means. The building itself is, yeah, a little bit bigger and there's double the staff, but that just, you know, it's it's just a size thing. It's not, doesn't change what we do. Um, it's all about serving our community from the littlest patron to the oldest. I mean, I keep going back to this, but I really, it's just a matter of connection and people want that regardless of the age and they may seek it out in different ways but ultimately it's all about making that human connection no matter the size of community that you're in excellent um i i think that is the perfect note to tie things up that's the perfect little bow on the package there <laughs> I, I love that that you talk about serving the tiniest human all the way up to to the grown-ups right Yep. Because libraries are important for all ages. And I hope that this helps remind people that, that their public libraries there, they should go check it out. Technically, they own all those books. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So take advantage of those things that, that you own, whether it be the program or the book, the magazine, the audio book, what have you and come and you know, make a connection. All right. I, I appreciate your time and, and, uh, on a weeknight, nonetheless, while you're trying <laughs> to, to get ready to uh, work on your next your next steps. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Oral is Cool. There are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at worldiscoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoyed meeting rural people and helping tell their story. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Shaw. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.